Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College online journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Thanks for joining us today on the War Room podcast. This is Jacqueline Whit, Professor of Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and the War Room podcast editor. Today's podcast is the first episode in a series produced in collaboration with the Army Heritage and Education Center, or AHEC, about understanding strategic history and theory and its enduring relevance through a close examination of important artifacts and documents that are held in the AHEC collections. In each episode, we will ask a subject matter expert to help us explore an important theme, idea, or event by looking closely at a single object or document. It's a series designed to connect the micro to the macro and to introduce you to some of the phenomenal items that are part of the collection at AHEC. So to kick off this series, I'm thrilled to be in the studio today with Dr. Conrad Crane, who is the Chief Chief of Historical Services for the Army Heritage and Education Center, which is also part of the U.S. Army War College. Dr. Crane is a historian and retired U.S. Army officer and his work for the Army focuses on the application of historical research to contemporary problems. Dr. Crane is the author of several books and many more articles and book chapters on a wide range of subjects. So with that, we'll start with the question that everybody is thinking, which is, what are we here to talk about today? We're here to talk about Matthew Ridgway's leadership in general and some of the specific actions. Uh, Focus on this particular memorandum why we are here was, is generated in January 1951 when he takes over the 8th Army after it's been shattered by the Communist Chinese counteroffensive and it basically had taken the longest retreat in American history. He finds an army that he feels is broken in spirit. He's going to try to rebuild it. And it's one of the great transformational leadership accomplishments in all of military history. Very good. So we have literally a memo. Who does this memo go to? Well, it's actually addressed to Corps Division, Separate Brigade, and Regimental Commanders, and his log- and his logistics people. But it was he his directions were this was supposed to be read to every soldier in Eighth Army. And again, what he's trying to do is rebuild the fighting spirit of his organization. All right. So, can you just remind us? And you, and you said a little bit, right? The army is broken; uh, it's in bad shape. What is what is what does Ridgeway find when uh, when he gets to Korea? and finds the Eighth Army. It's interesting, Ridgway in his memoirs, and also in his, uh, in his book, The Korean War, he talks about his first exposure to the Eighth Army. He, he, he gets, first he starts out, we get his briefing from Douglas MacArthur on what his duties are, and Douglas basically says, Eighth Army is yours, uh, do what you want, Matt. And he goes down and he visits the unit, and he talks about the fact that as soon as he starts seeing the troops, he knows something is wrong. And he writes things like, uh, I discovered our forces were simply not mentally and spiritually ready for the sort of action I had been planning. Their courage was still high. They were ready to take on any mission I might have assigned, but there was too much of a looking-over-your-shoulder attitude, a lack of that special verve, that extra alertness and vigor that seems to exude from an army that is sure of itself and bent on winning. The men I met along the road, those I stopped to talk to and to solicit gripes from, they too all conveyed to me a conviction that this was a bewildered army, not sure of itself or its leaders, and not sure what they were doing here. All right, so that's that's not a not a happy situation, <laughs> right? Um, so Ridgway writes this memo, and he, he wants it to go to all of 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 the 
all of the soldiers. Um, so what is what does he tell them? What does it say? Well, there's really he's trying to answer two questions in the memo. And the first one is why we are here. And that's a fairly simple answer. He basically says we're here because our designated leaders have designated we be here and, and, and we are following orders. The what are we fighting for gets more complicated. And, and that's the one where he really tries to turn this into a we're fighting for the American way of life. We're fighting for Western civilization. It's a very Cold War structure of us versus versus communism. But it's also talking about we're fighting for our values and interests. It's not just we're, we're yeah we are we're doing this to defend South Koreans, but there's broader issues here. We're fighting for um, more important issues than just that. And he's, he's trying to generate within his organization. Uh, much more, he's trying to, he wants to retake the offensive and he's trying to rebuild the offensive spirit in his army by giving them a goal to fight for. Okay, so we can understand it within the context of strategic leadership. We can understand it in the context of, of sort of morale building and, and as Simon Sinek would say, right, start with, start with why, right? That that's the fundamental thing that a commander has to do. How does this fit into the other, um, things that we know about Ridgeway or have from Ridgeway, and this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is part of Ridgeway's papers and part of the Ridgeway collection that's at AHEC, right? It, it is not surprising that the, the building that the, the collection is housed in is called Ridgeway Hall. Uh, the uh, old military history institute and the current Army Heritage Education Center has had a long history with the Ridgeway family. Uh, we get Ridgeway grants every year from the Ridgeway Foundation in order to fund researchers from different universities and, and authors who want to come and do research at our place. It is an immensely rich collection that, that, that he has given us. Uh, the uh, Ridgeway, as a senior leader, would often sit down at the end of, the end of the really busy days and write a memorandum of what happened. And so we have all these memorandums in his papers that are just phenomenal discussions of how senior leaders deal with the problems of the day. We have his, for instance, when he, when he commanded 18th Airborne Corps in the Battle of the Bulge, we have his, his, his battle diary of what he was doing each day and how he was trying to manage his corps. And remember, he's not only handling Bastogne, he's also handling Elsinboard Ridge. So he's got two major pieces of the Bulge campaign that he is handling with 18th Airborne Corps. When he was chief of staff of the Army, he would sit down and do memorandums. And there's a very fascinating section where he talks about his actions that basically helped keep us out of Indochina in 1954, uh, where he, he orchestrates resistance to the, to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who wants, wants us to provide support to the French, but Ridgeway is very much against it. And he, he mounts a very adroit bureaucratic and strategic campaign to justify keeping us out of Indochina in 1954, which includes briefings to the Secretary of Defense and the President and a lot of other people. But all that stuff is in his papers. It, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating study of, of who I think is the most underrated and most accomplished American general at all three levels of war throughout his whole career. I mean, it's really a phenomenal collection of hundreds of boxes of his papers at, at the Army Heritage Education Center. Sure, and those are open for people to come do research in. They're open to the public. We're open 10 to 5, uh, Monday through Saturday. And anybody who wants to come over and look at that stuff, including suits the War College, it's all there for you to read. And it's a fascinating study of what, what America's great strategic leaders and how we thought and how we operated. Great. What, why did you pick this document or this memo of, of all of the things that you talked about that Ridgeway is involved in where he's right? He's at the table, he's in the fight, he's doing it. Uh, why, why this one? Uh, again, I know the students are now... Uh, 
into strategic leadership. And, and I think there are fewer examples, fewer, there are very few better examples of, of transformational strategic leadership than what Ridgeway does to 8th Army and eventually the whole United Nations Command uh, in, in Korea. And, and, he, and he's a, so it, there's a lot of great documents there, but this symbolizes a very key part of his career and a very useful one for students. Ridgeway, at this point, he's an Army commander and he's writing letters, an army commander trying to affect, you know, thousands of troops. Uh, he will soon move to be the theater commander, and where he he basically recognized the fact that I'm not the primary theater. The main focus is on Europe. I'm not going to demand more troops. I'm going to do the best I can with what we have. He turns the Korean War around. By the by, we get by the time we get to June of 1951, we we have basically we are defeating the Chinese. We are driving them north. They can't stand. We are. We drive north 38th parallel, and the only thing that saves the communist forces is going to be the Russians' plea, call for an armistice at the UN, which is granted, and that 30-day armistice, the, basically the communist forces turn the war into World War I again. But it, it's an example of transformational leadership at the tactical operational strategic level that has a major impact on, on a major conflict. Great. So the memo, it, would you say, is, is it a turning point is it is it one of the things that starts this transformational change that we see in in the eighth army and within the u.s and u.n commands the, more broadly i mean there's a lot of small actions ridgeway does um he, he's a, he's he, he believes a commander has to be at the front i mean he says that uh, the job of the commander is to be up with the crisis of action is taking place in time of battle i wanted division commanders to be up with their forward battalions i wanted corps commanders up with the regiment that was the hottest action if they had paperwork to do they could do it at night by day, their place was up where the shooting was going on. I held that the old-fashioned idea had helped the spirits of the men to see the old man up there in the snow and the sleet and the mud, sharing the same cold, miserable existence they had to endure. So here you got a guy who's going out during the day and riding around a Jeep, seeing the troops, and he comes back at night and he does his paperwork. He has the advantage of having a great chief of staff, Levin Allen, who can handle the jobs, handle the army while he's gone. But he's out with the troops. He does little things like he drives around with a box of gloves in his Jeep. Because he knows that soldiers always are always losing gloves in the winter in Korea. And whenever he sees a soldier missing a glove, he gives him a glove. He does things like he stops and he ties people's shoes. He sees a soldier with untied shoes who's got a heavy load. He'll go and tie his shoes. Then he goes back to his headquarters. He's handling major issues of strategy and, and, and operations. Uh, he's, he's a master of, again, all three levels of war at the same time. This document is just an example of how a senior leader can affect command all the way down to the lowest level. Uh, uh, and, and again, Ridgeway just seemed to be able to understand what strings he had to pull, what actions he had to take to affect, you know, Douglas MacArthur in Tokyo at the same and also Private Smedlap on the front, uh, freezing in a foxhole in Korea. I think it's, it seems to me to be important, the, this idea that strategic leaders are also going to take small actions in addition to having the big picture and being able to step back and see, right, that Korea is secondary in importance to Western Europe and so on and so forth. But also that soldiers need their shoes tied and yeah. gloves. Gloves are important because, right, I learned from MASH that uh, <laughs> winters in Korea are uh, are cold. Um, yes. Great. <laughs> what, we've heard a lot about Korea. Korea's back in the news um, Move. a lot today. Is there is there anything that we as twenty first century sort of thinkers and strategists and and observers of what's happening in the world that we might um, 
take from take from Ridgeway. Ridgeway knew his place, as we've already said. He he realized his theater was not the most important one, and he and he was trying to fit into national strategy. Um, Ridgeway also believed that there were times when you had to risk your stars. Uh, he writes in his in a couple of articles and in his memoirs about the importance of standing up for what you believe. And, and he had a very interesting view on strategic dissent. He, he believed that unanimity at high levels was not ideal, that if, that, that if you disagreed with a high level policy, while you would still support the orders you were given, that, that you need to make sure that your dissent was registered. It's one of the reasons he only survives two years as Army Chief of Staff because he tells Congress he doesn't agree with all aspects of General Eisenhower's new look policy and, and General Eisenhower feels that's being disloyal. Ridgeway's view is, I will support the commander's choices, but at the same time, people should understand what I disagree with, that the responsibility for the choice and where the responsibility for this choice really lies. Uh, an example of how this works in another uh, situation, he is the commander of the 82nd Airborne Division when Mark Clark decides to drop it into Rome to support the Anzio landing. And, and Ridgeway says, this is going to be the suicide for my division, it'll be destroyed. This is, this is a, a bad plan, and he fights it up until the day it's supposed to be executed. Now, but, but at the time, he is getting on the airplane, getting ready to drop into Rome when the decision comes down that we're going to stop the operation. And in, 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 in hindsight, Ridgeway was right. He makes the same uh, discussion in his memoirs about uh, his battles with the Joint Chiefs of Staff in 1954 to keep us out of Indochina, and also sees that as another situation where he was correct and was right to take the risks that he did to his career. Uh, so, but, so he has a, some interesting views, but he, he, he's the penultimate soldier at all three levels of war, like I said. tactical. He knew his business, tactical, operational, strategic level of war. He knew Korea very well. He studied the terrain minutely, uh, and the terrain hasn't changed. Korea says it had a hell of a place to fight. Not a, you know, if, you, sure. if you can pick your place to fight, you want to pick a nice desert in the where Korea wouldn't wouldn't be it. Right? It's not high not high in your list of places you want to fight. Okay. So I think I, I to to close. I think for for our students and for others who are listening, um, the idea that strategic leadership carries risk, right? And the yes, it does. Um, you can be you can be right, and still not win a fight. Um, or you, or you might, but it might be at the last minute. It might be, um, and it, and it carries risk and that, that may just be how it, how it goes. Um, but leaders of, of sort of integrity and character may, may decide that that risk is worth, worth taking. So thanks for sitting down with me today, uh, to talk about Ridgeway in this memo. Uh, just to note to our listeners, you can find a copy of Ridgeway's memo, uh, with the podcast post which is on the War Room website, which is at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And we hope we'll take a look there. Thanks very much. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Department of the Army, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.